Sing, goddess, of the anger of Achilleus, son of Peleus, the accursed anger which brought uncounted anguish on the Achaeans, and hurled down to Hades many mighty souls of heroes, making their bodies the prated dogs and the birds feasting. And this was the working of Zeus's will. Sing from the time of the first quarrel which divided Atreus's son, the lord of men, and godlike Achilleus. Which of the gods was it who set these two to their fighting? It was the son of Zeus and Leto. In anger at the king he raised a vile plague throughout the army, and the people were dying, because the son of Atreus had dishonoured Chryses, his priest. Chryses had come to the fast ships of the Achaeans to gain release for his daughter, bringing with him unlimited ransom, and holding in his hands the sacred woolen bands of Apollo the far-shooter, wreathed in a golden staff. He began to entreat the whole body of the Achaeans, but especially the two sons of Atreus, the marshals of the army. "'Sons of Atreus, and you other well-grieved Achaeans, "'may the gods who live on Olympus grant you the sacking of Priam's city "'and a safe return to your homes. "'But release my dear child to me, and accept this ransom, "'in reverence of the son of Zeus, Apollo the far-shooter.' "'Then all the other Achaeans shouted their agreement "'to respect the priest's claim and take the splendid ransom. "'But this was not the pleasure of Agamemnon's heart, the son of Atreus. "'He sent him shamefully on his way, with harsh words of command.' "'Old man, let me never find you by our hollow ships, "'either dallying here now or coming back again in future, "'or you will have no protection from your god's staff and sacred bands. "'As for the girl, I shall not release her. "'Before that, old age will come upon her in our house, in Argos, "'far from her own country, where she will work at the loom and serve my bed. "'No, away with you. "'Do not provoke me if you want to return in safety.' "'So he spoke.' And the old man was afraid and did as he was ordered. He went in silence along the shore of the sounding sea. And then, when he had gone a far way off, the old man prayed long to Lord Apollo, the child of lovely-haired Leto. Hear me, Lord of the Silver Bow, protector of Chrysi and Holy Killer, and mighty Lord of Tenedos, Mentheus. If ever I have built a shrine that is pleasing to you, if ever I have burned for you fat-wrapped thigh-bones of bulls and goats, grant this my prayer." May the Danans pay for my tears with your arrows. So he spoke in prayer, and Phoebus Apollo heard him. Down he came from the peaks of Olympus with anger in his heart, the bow on his shoulders, and the enclosing quiver. The arrows clattered on the shoulders of Apollo in his anger, as the god himself rushed down, and his coming was like night. He settled then at a distance from the ships, and let fly an arrow, and there came a fearful twang from the silver bow. First he attacked the mules and the quick-running dogs, but then he sent his sharp arrows at the men themselves, and kept shooting them down. And constantly there burned, close-packed, the pyres of the dead. For nine days the gods' arrows plied throughout the army. On the tenth day Achilleus called the people to an assembly. The white-armed goddess Hera had put this in his mind, and she cared for the Danans when she saw them dying. So, when they were all gathered together in one place, swift-footed Achilleus stood up among them and spoke. "'Son of Atreus, I think we must now be forced back and return home again, "'supposing we can escape death, "'if now both war and play together are to ravage the Achaeans. "'No, let us ask some prophet or priest or an interpreter of dreams, "'as dreams too come from Zeus, "'who might tell us why Phoebus Apollo has felt such anger against us, "'whether he faults our prayer or our sacrifice, "'if in any way he may be willing to accept the smoke of lambs and goats without blemish "'and drive the plague away from us.' So speaking, Achilleus sat down. Then there stood up in their assembly Calchas, Thestor's son, 
far the best of augurs, who knew what is and what will be and what was before. He had guided the Achaean ships into Ilios through his seercraft, which Phoebus Apollo had granted him. In all good will he spoke and addressed the assembly. Achilleus, loved of Zeus, you ask me to tell of the anger of Apollo, the lord who shoots from afar, so tell I will. But you mark what I say and swear to me that you will readily come to my aid in words and action. I think that I shall anger a man who holds great power over all the Argives and command among the Achaeans. When a king is angry at a lesser man, his is the greater power. Even if he holds down his anger for the day, he still keeps resentment in his breast until he can give effect to it at some later time. So you tell me if you will protect me. Then swift-footed Achilles answered him, Take full courage and speak out what you know of God's will. I swear by Apollo, loved of Zeus, the god whom you pray to, Calchas, when you declare your prophecies to the Danans, while I live and see the light upon earth, no man will lay violent hands on you by our hollow ships, no man among the whole number of the Danans, even if you speak of Agamemnon, who now claims to be far the best of the Achaeans. Then the excellent prophet took courage and spoke. Apollo does not fault our prayer or sacrifice, but his anger is for his priest, dishonoured by Agamemnon when he would not release his daughter and accept the ransom. That is why the far shooter brought anguish on us, and will bring yet more. He will not drive this shameful plague from the Danans until we give back the bright-eyed girl to her dear father, without price or ransom, and take a holy hecatomb to Chrysi. Then we might appease him and turn his mind. So speaking, Calchas sat down. Then there stood up in the assembly the hero son of Atreus, wide-ruling Agamemnon, in deep anger. Fury filled his dark heart full, and his eyes were like blazing fire. First he spoke with a glare of malice at Calchas. Prophet of evil, you have never told me anything to my liking. Always your heart's desire is to prophesy evil, and you have never spoken or brought any fulfilment, any word of good. And now you declare a prophecy to the Danans, that this is the cause of the anguish that the far shooter is bringing them, that I refuse to accept the splendid ransom for the girl Chryseis, yes, because my wish is to keep her in my house, and indeed I prefer her to Clytemnestra, the wife of my marriage, as she is in no way her inferior in body or stature, or good sense or the craft of her hands. But even so, I am willing to give her back, if that is for the best. I wish my people to be saved, not die. But you must produce another prize for me without delay." so that I am not the only one of the Argives without a prize, as that would not be right. You can all see for yourselves that my own prize is leaving my hands. Then swift-footed godlike Achilles answered him, Glorious son of Atreus, most acquisitive of all men, how are the great-hearted Achaeans to give you a prize? We do not know of any stores of common treasure piled anywhere. What we took at the sacking of the cities has all been divided, and it is not right that the army should gather it back again. No, you now let the girl go at the gods' will, and we Achaeans will recompense you three or four times over, if ever Zeus grants that we sack the well-walled city of Troy. Then Lord Agamemnon answered him, Great man though you are, godlike Achilles, do not think you can treat me like this. You will not trick me or persuade me to it. Is it so that you can hold on to your own prize, while I just sit by and bear the loss of mine? Is this why you tell me to give back the girl? No. If the great-hearted Achaeans will give me a prize, suiting it to my heart's liking to be of equal value, then so be it. But if they will not, then I myself shall go and take your prize, or Aias's, or Odysseus's, and carry it away with me, and he will be angry whichever of you I visit. But this can be talk for the future. For the present, let us hang a, 
Let us haul a black ship down into the holy sea, and gather a chosen crew, and place in it a hundred oxen for sacrifice, and put aboard the beautiful Cresseus herself. And some man of good counsel must be the leader, either Ias or Idomeneus, or godlike Odysseus, or you, son of Peleus, most formidable of all men, so that by due sacrifice you can win the far shooter's favour for us. Then swift-footed Achilles scowled at him and said, "'Oh, you, your thoughts are always set on gain, "'and shamelessness is your very clothing. "'How can any of the Achaeans willingly follow your orders "'to go on expeditions or fight an enemy with all their strength? "'It was not the spearmen of Troy who caused me to come here and fight. "'I have no quarrel with them. "'They have never rustled my cows or horses "'or ravaged the crops in fertile Phythia, nurse of men, "'because between us there lie many shadowing mountains "'in the roar of the sea.' No, it was you, you great shameless creature, you we came with, to give you satisfaction and win requital from the Trojans for Menelaus, and for you, dogface. You have no thought or regard for this, and now you even threaten to take away my prize for yourself. I laboured hard for it, and it was awarded me by the sons of the Achaeans. I never have a prize equal to yours, whenever the Achaeans sack some well-founded Trojan town. My hands bear the brunt of the battle's fury." But when the division comes, your prize is by far the larger, and I come back to the ships with something small but precious when I have worn myself out in the fighting. Now I shall leave for fire. It is a far better thing for me to return home with my beaked ships, and I have no mind to stay here heaping up riches and treasure for you, and receiving no honour myself. Then Agamemnon, lord of men, answered him, Yes, run home if that is what your heart urges. I do not beg you to stay for my sake. I have others with me who will show me honour, and chief among them Zeus the counsellor himself. Of all the kings whom Zeus sustains, you are the most hateful to me. Always your delight is in quarrelling and wars and battle. Strong man you may be, but that is the gift for God. Go home then with your ships and your companions, and lord it over your myrmidons. I care nothing for you. Your anger does not touch me. But I make this threat to you. Just as Phoebus Apollo was taking Chryseis away from me, I will send her home with my ship and my companions. So I shall take the beautiful Briseis, your prize, going myself to fetch her from your hut, so that you can fully realise how much I am your superior, and others too can shrink from speaking on a level with me and openly claiming equality. So he spoke, and anger came over the son of Peleus. His heart and his shaggy breast was torn in thought, whether to draw his sharp sword from his hip and break up the assembly and kill Agamemnon, or to quell his anger and restrain his heart. While he was pondering this in his mind and his heart, and was pulling his great sword from the scabbard, Athene came down from heaven. The white-armed goddess Hera had sent her, as she loved both men alike in her heart and cared for them equally. Athene came up behind him and caught the son of Peleus by his yellow hair, visible to him alone. None of the others saw her. Achilles was startled and turned round and immediately recognised Pallas Athene. There was, a fe- there was a fearful gleam in her eyes. He spoke winged words to her. "'Why have you come this time, daughter of Zeus who holds the Aegis? "'Is it to witness the insult done to me by Agamemnon, son of Atreus? "'Well, I tell you something which I think will certainly be done as I say. "'For this arrogance of his, at some time soon, he will lose his life.' "'Then the bright-eyed goddess Athene said to him, "'I have come from heaven to stop your fury, if you will obey me. "'The white-armed goddess Hera sent me, "'as she loves both of you alike in her heart and cares for you equally.' Come then, leave your quarrelling and do not let your hand draw the sword, but use your tongue to bring shame on him, telling him how it will be. I tell you this, and it will certainly be as I say. 
There will be a day when three times these splendid gifts will be laid before you because of this insult. Restrain yourself, and do as we ask. Then swift-footed Achilleus answered her, A man should heed your words, goddess, however angry he is at heart. That will be better for him. Obey the gods, and they will hear you well. So he spoke, and stayed his massive hand on the silver hilt, and pushed the great sword back into the scabbard, and did not fail to obey Athene's words. She was on her way back to Olympus to join the other gods in the house of Zeus who holds the Aegis. Then the son of Peleus again attacked the son of Atreus with stinging words, his anger still unabated. Drunkard with the eyes of a dog and the heart of a deer, you have never had the courage to join your people in arming for battle, or to go with the leading men of the Achaeans into ambush. That seems sheer death to you. Oh, far better to go the length and breadth of the Achaean camp, stealing the prizes of anyone who speaks against you, a king who feeds fat on his people, with mere ciphers for subjects. Otherwise, son of Atreus, this would now be your last outrage. But I tell you this, and will swear a great oath to it. I swear by this staff, which will never again put out leaves and branches, from the moment it parted from its stump in the mountains, and it will sprout no more, since the bronze stripped it of its leaves and bark all around. Now the sons of Achaeans carry it in their hands when they give judgments, those who guard the ways of justice under Zeus. An oath by the staff has the power to bind. I swear now that there will come a time when the loss of Achilleus will be felt by the whole number of the sons of the Achaeans. Then, for all your anguish, you will have no power to protect them, when many fall dying at the hands of murderous Hector, and you will tear your heart within you in remorse that you showed no honour to the best of the Achaeans. So the son of Peleus spoke, and he threw the staff to the ground, studded with its golden nails, and sat down himself, and the son of Atreus kept his fury on the other side. Then there rose among them Nestor the sweet-spoken, the clear-voiced speaker of Pelos. From his tongue the words flowed sweeter than honey. He had already seen the passing of two generations of humankind, the men who in earlier days had been born and reared with him in holy Pelos, and now he was ruling over the third. In all goodwill he spoke and addressed the assembly. Oh, shame! Great sorrow was coming to the land of Achaea. There would surely be joy for Priam and his children, and all of the other Trojans would feel great gladness at heart if they knew of this quarrelling between you two, who were the best of the Danans in council and the best in fighting. No, you must listen to me, since both of you are younger men than I. In my time, I have kept company with greater men even than you, and they never fail to respect me. The like of such men I have not seen since, nor will I ever see. Perithus and Drias, shepherd of his people, and Cineus and Exagios, and godlike Polyphemus, and Theseus, son of Aegeus, Aegeus, the image of the immortals. They were the mightiest of all men bred upon earth. Mighty they were, and mighty their opponents, the centaurs, beasts of the mountains, and they put them to terrible destruction. And I was of their company, coming from Pelos, a long journey from a distant land, at their summons, and I fought among them in my own right. Not one of the mortals now upon earth could do battle with those men. And yet, they listened to my advice and followed my words. So you too should listen to me, since it is best to listen. You, great man though you are, do not take the girl from him, but let her be, as the sons of the Achaeans gave her to him in the beginning as his prize. And you, son of Peleus, do not seek open quarrel with the king, since there is no equality with the honour granted to a scepted king whom Zeus has glorified. You may be a man of strength, with a goddess for your mother, but he is the more powerful, because his rule is wider. Son of Atreus, you must stop your fury. I beg you to put aside your anger for Achilleus, who for all the Achaeans is their great defence against the horror of war. Then Lord Agamemnon answered him, 
Yes, all that you say, old man, is right and true. But this man wants to be above all others. He wants to control all, to rule all, to dictate to all. And there are some of us I doubt will obey him. The ever-living gods may have created him a warrior, but is that any cause for a boost to spring from his lips? God like Achilles made abrupt answer. Coward and nobody would be my names if I defer to you in everything you care to say. Others can take these commands of yours, but do not give your orders to me, because I doubt I shall obey you now. I tell you another thing, and you mark it well in your mind. I will not come to hand fighting over the girl with you or any other. The Achaeans gave her, and you have taken her away. But as for the other possessions I hold by my fast black ship, you will not take and carry away any one of them without my will. Come, try if you wish to make it clear to all. In an instant your dark blood will drop from my spear. Such were the wrangling words of their quarrel. The two men stood and broke up the assembly by the Achaean ships. The son of Peleus went to his huts and his balanced ships with the son of Menoetios and his other companions. And the son of Atreus hauled a fast ship down to the sea and chose twenty oarsmen for it and put a hundred oxen on it for sacrifice to the god and brought the beautiful Chryseis and set her aboard. And resourceful Odysseus went on the ship to lead them. Then they boarded and set sail over the paths of water. Meanwhile, the son of Atreus gave orders to the army for a purification. They washed themselves clean and threw the scourings into the sea. Then they sacrificed to Apollo unblemished hecatombs of bulls and goats along the shore of the harvestless sea. The smell of sacrifice reached the sky, curling upwards in the smoke. So the men busied themselves throughout the camp. But Agamemnon would not leave his threat once made in his quarrel with Achilles. He called to Talthibios and Eurybates, his heralds and ready servants. Go to the hut of Achilles, son of Peleus. Take the beautiful Briseis by the hand and bring her. If he will not give her to you, I shall come with a larger force and take her myself, and that will be the worse for him. So speaking, he sent them on their way, with stern instructions. They went reluctantly along the shore of the harvestless sea, and came to the huts and ships of the Myrmidons. They found him by his hut and his black ship, sitting idle, and Achilles had no joy in seeing them. They stood there silent, without word or question, in fear and respect for the king. But he understood their purpose in his mind and spoke to them. Welcome, heralds, messengers of Zeus and of men. Come closer. It is not you I blame, but Agamemnon, who has sent you here for the girl Briseis. Come, Lord Patroclus, bring the girl out and give her to them for the taking. And these two themselves can be my witness before the blessed gods and the mortal men. And before that heartless king, if ever in time to come there arises a need for me to protect others from the shameful destruction. His mind's madness is set on disaster, and he will not take thought for the future as well as the past, to preserve his Achaeans as they fight by the ships. So he spoke, and Patroclus did as his dear friend told him. He brought the beautiful Briseis out of the hut, and gave her to the heralds to take. They went back again to the ships of the Achaeans, and the woman went with, him, with them, reluctant. Then Achilles broke into tears, and quickly drew far away from his companions, and sat down on the shore of the grey sea, looking out over the boundless ocean. He stretched out his hands and prayed long to his dear mother. Mother, since it was you who bore me, if only to a life doomed to shortness, surely honour would have been granted to me by Olympian Zeus, the high thunderer. But now he has shown me not even the slightest honour. The son of Atreus, wide-ruling Agamemnon, has dishonoured me. He has taken my prize with his own hands and keeps it for himself. So he spoke with tears falling, and his honoured mother heard him, where she sat by the side of her old father in the depths of the sea. 
Quickly she rose up from the grey sea like a mist, and sat down in front of him as he wept, and stroked him with her hand and spoke to him, saying, "'Child, why are you crying? What pain has touched your heart? Tell me, do not hide it inside you, so that both of us can know.' With a heavy groan, swift-footed Achilleus said to her, "'You know. What need for me to tell you all when you know it? We had gone to Thebes, Etion's sacred city. We sacked it, and brought all the spoils here.' The sons of the Achaeans made proper division of all the rest among themselves, and chose for the son of Atreus as his gift of honour the beautiful Chryseis. But then Chryses, the priest of Apollo the far-shooter, came to the fast ships of the bronze-clad Achaeans to gain release for his daughter, bringing with him unlimited ransom, and holding in his hands the sacred woolen bands of Apollo the far-shooter, wreathed on a golden staff. He began to entreat the whole of the body of the Achaeans, but especially the two sons of Atreus, the marshals of the army. Then all the other Achaeans shouted their agreement to respect the priest's claim and take the splendid ransom. But this was not the pleasure of Agamemnon's heart, the son of Atreus. He sent them shamefully on his way, with harsh words of command. The old man went back in anger, and Apollo heard his prayer, since he was very dear to him, and sent his deadly arrows against the Argives. The people were dying, death upon death, as the gods' arrows plied everywhere throughout the breadth of the Achaean camp. Our seer and full knowledge declared us the will declared to us the will of the far shooter and i was the first to urge the appeasement of the god but then anger seized the son of atreus he leapt up and declared the threat which has now been carried out that girl the bright-eyed achaeans are now taking in a fast ship to chrysi and carrying gifts for the lord apollo but the heralds have just now come to my hut and taken away with them the daughter of briseis my gift from the sons of the achaeans so now if it is in your power protect your own son Go to Olympus and beseech Zeus by any service you have ever done his godhead in word and action. I have often heard you in my father's house, telling with pride how you alone among the immortals rescued the son of Kronos, lord of the dark clouds, from a shaming plight, when other Olympian gods sought to bind him fast, Hera and Poseidon and Pallas Athene. But you came and released him from his bonds, goddess, quickly calling up to wide Olympus the hundred-hander, called Boreos by the gods, and but Aegeon by all humans." He is yet stronger than his father, and he took his seat beside the son of Kronos, glorying in his splendour. The blessed gods shrank in fear from him, and there was no more binding. Remind him of this now, and sit beside him and take his knees, asking that it may be his will to bring aid to the Trojans, and pen the Achaeans back by the shore and the sterns of their ships amid much slaughter, so that all may have enjoyment of their king. Even the son of Atreus, wide ruling Agamemnon, may come to recognize his folly in paying no honour to the best of the Achaeans. Then Thetis answered him with her tears falling, O oh my child, what did I rear you for after the pain of your birth? If only you could sit by your ships without tears or sorrow, because your fate is of short span, not at all long. But now you are both short-lived and miserable as well beyond all others, so it was a cruel fate under which I brought you in our house. But I shall go myself to snow-capped Olympus and make this appeal to Zeus, who delights in thunder, in the hope that he will grant it. But you must now sit close by your speedy ships and continue your rage against the Achaeans, and withdraw completely from the fighting. Zeus went yesterday to Ocean, to feast with the blameless Ethiopians, and all the gods went with him. But on the twelfth day he will return again to Olympus, and then be sure that I shall go to Zeus's bronze-floored house, I shall take his knees as entreaty, and I shall... I think I shall persuade him. So speaking, she went away, and left her son there where he was, with anger in his heart because of the girdled woman, taken from him by force against his will. Meanwhile, Odysseus was approaching Chrysi, 
bringing the holy hecatomb. When they had come inside the deep harbour, they took in the sails and stowed them in the black ship, then let down the mast by the forestays and lowered it smartly to the mast crutch, and pulled the ship into the anchorage with the oars. Out went the anchor stones, and they made fast the stern cables. They jumped out themselves with the surf brakes, and brought the he- out the hecatomb for Apollo the Sharshooter, and out came Chryseis from the seafaring vessel. The resourceful Odysseus took her to the altar and gave her into her dear father's arms, and said to him, Chryses, Agamemnon, lord of men, has sent me here to bring you your daughter, and to sacrifice a holy hecatomb to Phoebos on behalf of the Danans, so that we can appease the lord god who has now brought sorrows and much lamentation on the Argives. So speaking, he gave the girl into her father's hands, and he received his dear child with joy. Then they quickly set the holy hecatomb for the god in proper order round the well-built altar, and then washed their hands and took up the barley grains for sprinkling. Chryses lifted up his arms among them and prayed in a great voice, "'Hear me, Lord of the Silver Bow, protector of Chryse and Holy Killer, and Lord of Mighty Tenedos. As you heard my former prayer and brought honour to me and great harm to the Achaean people, so now grant this my father desire. Now at last drive the shameful plague away from the Danans.' So he spoke in prayer, and Phoebus Apollo heard him. When they offered prayers and sprinkled the barley grains, at first they pulled back the victims' heads and slaughtered them and flayed them, and they cut out the thigh bones and covered them with fat, folding it twice over, and placed pieces of raw meat on top. The old man burnt them on cut firewood and poured libations of gleaming wine, while the young men stood by him with five-tanged forks in their hands. Then, when the thighs were burnt up and they had tasted the inwards, innards, they chopped the rest into pieces and threaded them on spits and roasted them carefully, and then drew all the meat off. When they had finished their work and prepared the meal, they set to eating, and no man's desire went without an equal share in the feast. When they had put their desire for eating and drinking away, the young men filled mixing bowls to the brim with wine, poured a libation into each man's cup, then served them all. So all day long the young men of the Achaeans appeased the god with music, singing a lovely hymn and dancing for the god who worked from afar, and he listened with delight in his heart. When the sun set and darkness came on, they lay down to sleep beside the ship's stern cables. Then, when early-born dawn appeared with her rosy fingers, they put out to sea and returned to the broad Achaean camp, and Apollo the far-shooter sent a favouring breeze to speed them. They set up the mast and spread the white sails, and the wind swelled the belly of the sail. The wave rising and the keel stem hissed loud as the ship moved on, and she ran ever onwards, cutting her path through the swell. When they reached the broad camp of the Achaeans, they hauled back the black ship on land, high on the sandy beast, beach, and set props beneath her. The crew then scattered to their own huts and ships. But the royal son of Peleus, swift-footed Achilleus, sat idle by his speedy ships and kept up his anger. He would not ever go to the assembly where men win glory, nor into the fighting, but stayed where he was, wasting his heart out day after day, and yearning for the clamour of battle. But when the twelfth dawn came round from that first day, the ever-living gods returned to Olympus, all in a body, with Zeus at their head. And Thetis did not forget her son's demand, but she rose through the swell of the sea at early morning, and went up to the vast sky in Olympus. She found the wide-seeing son of Cronos sitting away from the others, on the highest peak of ridged Olympus. She crouched in front of him, and took his knee with her left hand, and reached with her right to hold him under the chin. Then she spoke an entreaty to Lord Zeus, of Cron- Lord Zeus, son of Cronos. Father Zeus, 
If ever I have done you service among the immortals in word or in action, grant this my desire. Show honour to my son, who is short-lived beyond all other men. Now Agamemnon, lord of men, has dishonoured him. He has taken his prize with his own hands, and kept it for himself. But now you show him honour, Zeus, counsellor, Olympian lord. Grant victory to the Trojans for such time until the Achaeans recompense my son, and raise him in honour among them. So she spoke, and Zeus the cloud-gatherer made her no answer, but sat long in silence. But Thetis kept her grasp on his knees, and clung tight to him, and asked him a second time, Promise me now without fail and nod your assent, or else refuse me. You have no cause for fear, so that I can be sure how far I am the lowest in honour among the gods. Zeus the cloud-gatherer answered her in vexation, This is a grievous business. You will set me at odds with Hera when she stings me to anger with her taunts. Even without this, she is always carping at me among the immortal gods, saying that I help the Trojans in battle. Well, you must go back now, so that Hera does not see anything. I shall take care of these things, and see that they are brought about. Look, I shall nod my head in assent, so you can be sure. This is the strongest pledge I can give among the immortals. No word of mine can be revoked, or proof thought, false, or fail in fulfilment when I nod my head in assent to it. So the son of Kronos spoke and he nodded his dark brows. The Lord God's immortal hair streamed forward from his deathless head, and he shook the heights of Olympos. With this agreement made, the two parted. Thetis then leapt down from bright Olympus into the deep sea, and Zeus went to his own house. All the gods rose together from their seats in the presence of the father. Not one of them dared to keep his place at Zeus's approach, but all rose to greet him. So he then sat down on his throne. But when Hera looked at him, she could tell that plans had been laid with him by silver-footed Thetis, the daughter of the old man of the sea. She immediately attacked Zeus, the son of Kronos, with shameful words. Crafty one, which of the gods has been laying plans with you this time? It is always your way to keep apart from me and decide your purposes in secret. You have never yet been prepared to tell me frankly of any design you have in your mind. Then the father of men and gods answered her. Hera, do not expect to know all of my thoughts. They will be hard for you, even though you are my wife. When it is right for you to hear my thought, no one, god or man, will know of it before you do. But when I wish to lay my plans apart from the other gods, please do not question me and inquire into every detail. Then the ox-eyed queen Hera answered him. Dread son of Kronos, what is this you are saying? I have not questioned you or inquired too closely in the past, but you are quite free to make whatever plans you wish. This time, though, I have a terrible fear in my mind that you have been won over by silver-footed Thetis, the daughter of the old man of the sea. Early in the morning she came and sat by you and took your knees. I suspect that you have, been given, you have given her your solemn word to bring honour to Achilleus and death to many by the Achaean ships. Zeus the cloud-gatherer answered her, My dear wife, you are always suspecting, and no action of mine can escape you. But even so, there is nothing you can do except to put yourself yet further from my heart, and that will be worse for you. If the matter is as you say, then that must be how I wish it. No, sit still and be quiet, and do as I tell you, or all the gods in Olympus will be no help to you when I come close and lay my invincible hands on you. So he spoke, and the oxide queen Hera was afraid and sat in silence, bending her heart to obey. There was uproar among the heavenly gods in Zeus's home. But Hephaestus, the famous craftsman, began to speak to them, anxious to do service to his dear mother, white-armed Hera. 
This will be a grievous business, and beyond endurance, if you two are to quarrel in this way over mortal men, and set the gods to wrangling, and we shall have no pleasure in this excellent feast, since unworthy things will be foremost. I urge my mother, though she knows it herself, to make her peace with our dear father Zeus, so that the father does not scold her again and spoil our feasting. If the Olympian lord of the lightning is minded to dash us from our seats, well, he is far stronger than all of us, no, you should approach him with soft words, and then the Olympian will be kindly to us again. So he spoke, and jumped up and put a two-handled cup to, into his dear mother's hands, and said to her, Have patience, mother, and bear with it despite your distress. Otherwise, dear as you are to me, I may see you beaten about before my eyes, and then I shall not be able to help you for all the pain I will feel. It is hard to stand against the Olympian. Once before, when I was eager to defend you, he caught me by the foot and threw me from the threshold of the gods. All day long I dropped, and with the setting of the sun I fell to earth in Lemnos, and there was little breath left in me. There the Scythians took care of me after my fall. So he spoke, and the white-armed goddess Hera smiled, and the smiling took the cup from her son. Then, beginning from the left, he poured for all the other gods, drawing sweet nectar from the bowl, and uncontrollable laughter arose among the blessed gods, as they watched Hephaestus bustling to and fro in the palace. So they feasted all day long till the setting of the sun, and no one's desire went without an equal share of the feast, nor did they lack the beautiful music of, a, of the lyre in Apollo's hands, and the lovely singing of the muses, voice answering voice. Then, when the brightness of the sun had set, they each went home to sleep, and in the houses made for them by the cunning of his craft by the famous lame god Hephaestus. And Zeus the Olympian, lord of lightning, went to his own bed, where he always lay down when sweet sleep overcame him. He climbed to his bed and slept there, and beside him slept Hera of the Golden Throne. <laughs>